How do clinicians treat patients who are professional performers? And not just the mechanical part of medicine, but also understanding the social and emotional toll that the arts, such as dance, can have on its performers. You're listening to Everyday Family Medicine on ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Cottle. Joining me today is Dr. Rebecca Fishman, Director of Medical Education and Residency Director for the PMNR Department at Mercy Medical Center in New York. Dr. Fishman, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you so much, and thank you very much for having me here today. I really appreciate the opportunity to reach out to the public and and explain dance medicine, explain the injuries that professional dancers and pre-professional dancers sustain, and talk a little bit about their emotional life and, and what doctors should be looking for and be aware of. Great. So let's start out. Dr. Fishman, you were a professional entertainer before you were a physician. Can you give us some insights about your journey? It's been an interesting journey. I started off as a dancer, and not having the correct anatomy that dancers do require, I did sustain many injuries. did go to the original high school of performing arts in New York City, which was the original fame school, if you remember that movie, and had a wonderful time there, but did have many, many complications just from the, the common injuries that dancers do sustain under those kind of pressures. did go on to becoming a drama major at NYU and took off a couple of years to basically dance around the country and perform in various musical theater shows and dance projects and as a professional singer. So I really have a great deal of experience in all those areas that I can now bring to medicine. So I'm really happy to be able to talk from my own personal experience, also having a a child that is a pre-professional dancer um, and seeing what he's going through. Of course, he gained mommy's unfortunate hereditary and the anatomical limitations and watching him go through it. I'm able to offer the advice that I wish somebody would have offered me back in those days. So it's very exciting. Wonderful. Well, you definitely have an interesting path, and I I think that this is um, a very interesting topic, uh, and I'm glad that we're talking about it. Uh, So let's jump right in. You know, there's a lot of pressure on dancers, both male and female, uh, not only to be thin, but to maintain a certain body type. Can you talk about the emotional impact that that can have on a dancer? Absolutely. So first, just to give you an idea of what we went through, I remember in high school, in high school performing arts, we were actually separated into groups. Now, this was back in the 80s, back in the, the time when everybody had to be incredibly skinny. And we were separated into groups, and we were judged upon your dance ability in front of everybody, but there were those kids that came out crying. And I remember them in tears because the teachers told them they had to lose weight. I remember feeling that if you have even a little bit of muscle on you, that you were too big. And I remember hiding myself with a sweatshirt around just because I had a little bit more maybe of muscle. You know, I was very self-conscious having curves on my body. And I remember feeling inadequate because I did have a little bit more maybe of a butt. <laughs> and later in life, when I, soon, when I stopped dancing, it actually developed breasts. You know, it, it took a while, as most dancers are athletes, and their body weight is low. And often puberty is, is put off. Getting the period is usually put off at least one year from the average. That could also lead to some injuries as well. Nowadays, the difference I can see, there's much more acceptance of a fuller dancer. You can see the curves, even in magazines, you see models now who have more curves and it's more accepted. I think for ballet, uh, there's still the demand and the expectation that the body be very thin. Not anorexic looking as in the old days, but I can tell you, I do speak about a particular ballerina. She was a principal dancer, New York City Ballet, wonderful dancer named Jennifer Ringer, who was 
looked at by a critic in the audience during Nutcracker and actually made a comment that she looked like she ate one too many sugar plums. And it was very upsetting, and upsetting to her and upsetting to many dancers. And if you look at her, you would never believe that anybody could say that. She was absolutely beautiful, absolutely perfect body. But this is the kind of pressure that dancers are still under. Understood. And it is a lot of pressure, uh, understandably. Dancers do have a lot in common with athletes. And something that you have said is that you really sort of equate professional dancers with elite athletes just simply because of the demands on training and, and the physical demands as well. Can you talk a little bit about injuries? Do they have similar injuries or issues as well? How, how would you compare or contrast them? Thank you. Yes, dancers are, and I think this is what physicians need to be aware of, they are athletes. They are athletes from a very young age, and the demands on them are even more consuming than many of the athletes that we know. For example, in football and baseball, there are seasons. There are times that the, the athlete is training, times that they're off. A dancer pretty much dances six days a week, many, many hours. There's no protective gear. Often they're barefoot if they're modern dancers. If they're tap dancers, they're dancing on metal. The floors are not always adequate, and they don't have the proper structure for give. So there's a lot of demand on the dancer just for the time that they have to invest. Also, for ballet, the female dancers are wearing point shoes. And it puts a lot of pressure, and even for the male dancers, they're always either on full point and point shoes or demi-point. So it's a lot of pressure on the foot and the ankle. Also, the anatomical demands of a dancer requires that they constantly try to compensate to have this look for a dancer, the, the look that most of the ballet companies want, and that also leads to injury. So, you know, having this background knowledge that you're, you're giving us about some of the emotional and physical demands that professional dancers can experience, how would you tailor your HMP to a performing artist? You know, what are some things that physicians need to be aware of, things that you are aware of when you're doing your HMPs on, on professional dancers or performers? So the one thing I would look for, just to start off with, is the anatomy. Again, as I said, there is an anatomy that is required of dancers. That age-old, you could do anything you want. If you achieve it, you could do it. And, and the Disney dreams that we all grew up with. Really, it's not the case when it comes to professional dancing, especially in the ballet world. There is an anatomy that is required of the dancer. If they do not have that anatomy, the challenges are great and it leads to injury. Again, the, the dancer will tend to overcompensate. The dancer will try to adjust their bodies to try to trick or to make it look aesthetically pleasing. And uh, that can lead to injury. So the first thing you want to do is, when you're doing a physical exam, is certainly look to see that the dancer has adequate turnout from the hips, external rotation. So you can look to see what the hips are either antiverted or retroverted. You want to look at the alignment of the body. You want to make sure that the, there's not anatomical barriers. So there might be tibial torsion. There could be decreased flexibility in the body. Increased flexibility is an issue as well. So a lot of dancers are hypermobile, and that could lead to laxity and injuries. You want to look for structural scoliosis, a leg length discrepancy. So that's on the physical exam. One of the other things I think is very important to mention, though, is the dancer itself. Are they underweight? Are they lacking nutrition? Are they getting enough sleep? What's their rehearsal schedule like? What's the demands of the choreography? How many days a week are they dancing? How many hours a day are they taking class? So all that has to go into your picture of how much demand is on that individual. The other thing to really keep in mind is to understand that a dancer puts all their eggs in one basket. 
because of the high demand that dancers have, they start training at very young ages, and they have to be very involved every single day of their life. There's no time for the backup plan. There's no real time for plan B. And so their whole life is invested into dance from a very, very early age. So if a dancer could no longer dance or they sustain an injury, this is unbelievably devastating. So not only does that mean that the dancer now has to consider changing a career, if it is a life-changing career injury, but the depression that could be associated with that is unbelievable. You're talking about changing the identity. This is how they identify themselves. They are dancers. So, you know, from the time they're little, this is my daughter, the dancer, you know, my son, the dancer, my son, the singer, the entertainer. This is how they identify themselves. So taking that away from them is very difficult. In addition to that, it's a passion. It's an unbelievable passion to dance. Dancers will describe it as a form of expression of their soul, of their passion, making them feel whole and complete. So taking that away is also taking away a very, very important form of expression. So you really need to take care when you get a history of the dancer, not only the physical limitations, not only trying to find out exactly why they were injured, how to prevent the injury, but also where they are in their life and how much they have invested into dance. Are there any special concerns for children who are serious dancers? Yes, and thank you for asking that because I do think it's very important. Children, there's you have children that start dancing when they're very young. We're talking three, four years old. They're already going into dance class. Then you get children who become very serious and they are young dancers. Then we have what we consider the pre-professional dancers, and that would be more about the age 14. Many of them are go into their serious about ballet. They will go into the pre-professional programs at particular ballet schools that are linked to a company in the hopes that they will be asked to join those companies later. They are also, in each of those areas, each of those stages, there are different concerns. The very young dancer uh, tends to have more issues with the foot and angle, more tendinopathies, tendinitis, and back issues. Again, that ex- a lot of expectation is on them to perform, to compete. There's a lot of competition dancers. That's like a new sport now. So these kids are dancing many, many hours a day on little growth plates, you know, and getting many injuries um, from the time they're very little. So we want to be concerned about, in the young child, avulsion fractures. We want to be concerned about spondylolisthesis, spondylolysis of the lumbar spine. Then also, as they get a little older, and around 14 or so, they might have more issues with their knees, malalignment problems, again, looking for that perfect anatomy and compensating for it, leading to injuries. Another thing to consider is that by the time they're 18 years old, these dancers should be in a professional ballet company. That's very young, right? 18 years old. So you can imagine the level of competition, especially for women, that occur at that age. They go to summer intensive. So in the ballet world, Many dancers will spend their summers, again, remember, dance is a full-time sport, and they're, you know, 365 days a year, they're dancing. These summer intensives are full-day classes, so they might go from maybe taking two classes a day to suddenly dancing about six to eight hours a day in a summer intensive. So that increase alone can cause injuries. Again, they're also trying to showcase themselves to hopefully be asked to join the school and which could lead to a company position. So they're working very hard, and it is very competitive, um, especially for for females in the ballet world. Boys also have their own concerns. The boys are expected to be very flexible. Very often they're not. Boys are lifting 
dancers as they get older. So you're talking about lifting over their heads. And we do see a lot of spondylolysis in young boys as well and spondylolisthesis. Of course, they're asking them. Most ballet companies are very aware, and they're not going to have them do the crazy lifts, the hard things, until they're older and their bodies are mature. I think that ballet companies now that have the ballet schools do a very good job in working with these children. They offer nutrition classes. They offer the healthy dancer where physical therapists will come in and speak to them about the proper techniques. So they're very aware, and the education for dance instructors is much better now than it used to be. There are still schools around the country, you know, not the big company schools, which, again, might force the child's turnout might force the look and the aesthetics of dance and not take into consideration that in, that child's individual limitations and anatomical limitations. So let's talk a little bit about puberty. You know, how does puberty affect the emotional and physical development and ability for a young person to perform as a dancer? That's another area. So, you know, these children have invested everything. There is nothing else for them to do. They're, they're in that dance class constantly. They go through puberty, and it's an interesting time because their bones grow faster than their muscles grow. So now the students tend to feel off their game. They're not turning as well. They don't feel they have the same strength. And very often this could lead to feelings of being inadequate, depression, and the dance instructors going to need to take that into consideration that the child is going to go through an awkward period of time. The other thing that happens with puberty is that the sometimes with the dancers, the female dancers who dance a great deal are equivalent to those athletes, and they may have the same issues with amenorrhea and osteoporosis. So you really want to be aware of any kind of fractures that could occur. So there's, you know, the younger dancers have certain type of injuries. As they get older, they can develop more fractures and certainly more knee injuries and malalignment issues and muscle imbalances as well. And so let's then go on to the adult. How can an adult maintain a rigorous practice and performance schedule and really work to avoid injury? You know, that is the big question. And I think that many people are under the impression that a dancer's life is very short. It tends, it can happen because you put all your eggs in that one basket and you have injuries and then you have to look at other options. But there are other dancers out there, and I can think of one in particular from the wonderful New York City Ballet, who just retired at age 51 or 50 years old. So the goal would be, and the goal should be, is longevity for dance. Making sure that we're not going for these extreme competitions and, and you know, dancing God knows how many hours a day and, and injuring these children when they're young so that they can have a long life as a professional dancer. It can occur. They just, dancers just need to be aware of the extrinsic factors that affect dance, making sure the floor they're dancing on is correct, making sure they're wearing the proper point shoes and they're using their padding and that they have proper shoes depending on what type of dance that they're doing, making sure the technique is correct. I mean, that's very important. Technical errors do lead to injuries. Making sure that they're doing Pilates. Pilates is really wonderful for dancers. It started off just for dancers. And later in life, people said, oh, we want to do that too. Look at those beautiful, long, strong muscles that dancers have. And and it really focuses on keeping the core very strong so that the arms and legs can move very freely without pulling on the core. So those dancers will take that very seriously. They'll protect their body. They'll be aware of when it's too much and when they need to back off. Dancers need to know when to rest. Very tough. Very tough, again, because a dancer is expected to dance all the time. 
But sometimes a, a professional dancer will need to say, my body's at its limit. I need to take off some time. I need to rest this injury. I need to eat to make sure we're taking in enough calories. Let's say for the most part, dancers are taking in about 70 to 80% of the calories that they're needed because of, again, trying to keep their weight down. So they must be taking care of themselves physically, you know, nutritionally, making sure that the body's getting the rest they need, identifying injuries, making sure that they're treating those injuries and seeking help at the right time, and also just making sure that the, the extrinsic factors involved are also well-maintained. Dancers will take a lot of supplements as well. Uh, you know, the real professional dancers, again, they understand the goal of longevity. So are there any strategies that you recommend to prolong a dancer's career? We have noted that you also teach physicians how to utilize osteopathic manipulative therapy for the treatment of dance-related injuries. Can you maybe talk a little bit about this as well as the strategies that you recommend to help prolong a career? Dancers are athletes. Dancers need to also consider cross-training, and that's been a big thing now. Um, there are repetitive movements all the time that lead to a lot of injuries. Um, if the body is not perfectly aligned, you have enough issues without having a perfectly aligned body um, just for making them prone to injury. If they have an imbalance, a muscle imbalance, if they have an anatomical issue they need to be aware of. So it's very important for dancers to be aware of all those issues. So a dancer will have, again, many, many injuries, usually at least one injury. 90% of dancers will obtain at least one injury in their lifetime. Um, that's a pretty high number. So we really want to make sure that a dancer is aware of how to use the body to recognize dysfunction when it occurs. One of the issues that comes up often is these dancers are athletes. I mean, they are elite athletes. And they're using their bodies over and over in the same way every single day. So we find now that actually the level of fitness, <laughs> what you, you would think would be so high, is really not as high as, as some other athletes. So right now there is a movement toward cross-training. We want dancers to be able to work their body by fitness routines opposite of being in the external rotation <laughs> of the hip positions and to do a little bit more running and to do a little bit more actual physical fitness. Um, dancers are concerned that that might change the aesthetics of their body. You know, we don't want to have increased quadricep muscles and increased bulk in our bodies. Uh, but dancers do need to start looking now at cross-training just to balance out the constant demands, repetitive motions that they are expected to do every day. For the dancers, I really recommend looking at the muscle imbalances, looking at the body. Is one hamstring tighter than the other? Are the quadriceps equal? is the psoas muscle tight. The psoas muscle is the main flexor of the body. It connects from the lumbar spine to the lesser trochanter. And when that's tight, it pulls, and it causes the body to go into more of an anterior pelvic tilt. So it's very important for dancers to keep that alignment correct. One of the things we look for is that psoas muscle. Just making sure you lie the patient down and bringing the leg into extension to see if that psoas muscle is tight. That will help tremendously with turnout as well. So for the dancer, we'd like to teach exercises on how they can maintain their psoas muscle to be stretched and also to treat them with muscle energy techniques or any technique that you want in OMT to stretch that psoas muscle. And finally, what advice do you have for physicians treating performing artists? I would say to be very, very aware again of the passion that's involved for these artists, the unbelievable joy that dance gives them, how much time and energy goes into a career in dance and also to give them feedback on their anatomical limitations and how they can work with their bodies to 
prevent injuries based on their own anatomical alignment. Also, giving them exercises is very helpful. A dancer will do the exercises you give them. They are incredibly disciplined. A dancer is an incredibly disciplined person, usually a very intelligent person. They also make great future uh, healthcare providers as well because they have such a great understanding of the body. So I would say making sure that a, a physician takes into account the demands of their personal life, the demands of the body, and the, the individual's limitations. And maybe providing then a structured physical exercise program um, that's geared to them. Wonderful. Well, many thanks to Dr. Rebecca Fishman. Dr. Fishman is the Director of Medical Education, and she's the Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation Residency Director at Mercy Medical Center in Rockville Center, New York. Thank you very much for joining us today and for sharing your insights on the challenges of pre-professional and professional dancers. Thank you very much for having me and for giving me this opportunity to teach a little bit about the needs of dancers. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Cottle, and you've been listening to ReachMD. To download this podcast and others in the series, please visit us at reachmd.com slash everydayfamilymedicine. And we encourage you to like, share, and comment on this podcast. Thank you for listening.